welcome to Property Matters here on Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is Brian Fox and myself, Carol Tallon. And first up today, I'm joined by Byron MacDonald of REA MacDonald in Lucan and REA spokesperson for a pretty significant report that issued in the last day or two. Barry, you're very welcome. Thank you, Carol. Um, so I mentioned REA has issued... Uh, REA routinely issues reports on house prices and they're always met with the same amount of interest as other house prices. You know, it's, it's become a bit of a national pastime. But this one is really significant because it's actually putting numbers on things that we've been speculating about since the outbreak of COVID. So you might just talk us through some of the headline figures in the report. Yeah, thank you, Carl. So yeah, well, on the on the, the, the actual report and the survey, just by way of background, our survey comes out on a quarterly basis. And what we do, just so your listeners can understand how it's based, we quite simply ask our agents who operate all around the country, what are they selling your typical average three-bedroom semi-detached house for in their area? And it's just the simplicity of it has helped us track the kind of levels. And it's been unerringly accurate since we began it in 2013, when you look backwards. What we believe is the kind of USB of the, the survey is that it's based on actual selling prices. It's not based on guide prices, which can be so misleading, as, as you well know. Um, and it's not based on sold prices, which can have a time lag issue. It's based on real-time sale agreed prices. So we believe it can be quite a good indicator of where the market is at any snapshot point in time. But our latest report has indicated that Unfortunately, more bad news for buyers. Values have gone up right across the country. But where the detail shows the, the real interesting facts is when you look at the locations where those increases are at their highest levels. And that isn't in the usual urban city centres. It's actually more in rural areas and regional Ireland, which has seen the highest price rises. And if I can just give you some of the figures, um, Dublin, Galway, Cork, Limerick, for sure, they've all gone up in value. But you're looking at an average over the summer three months of about one and a half to two and a half percent in each of those cities. But it's outside of there where we've seen a far more, I will say, alarming rate of growth in values. Tipperary led the way this time for whatever reason that they've seen an increase over the summer of a staggering 9.2% on their typical three-bedroom semi-detached house. And this is mirrored in other counties, maybe not quite as extremely, but Donegal is up over 8%, Kilkenny's up 7%. The list goes on right across the country. And so what we're seeing, we believe, is a continuation of the, the, the this, what I refer to as a phenomenon that begun during lockdown, which is buyers are looking outside of the cities again. They're, they're, you know, it happened during the, the peak of the market back in the early 2000s. And I think that was very much only led because of, 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 of the costs in the cities. It was pushing people out. They just literally, the affordability issue. Whereas now I think there's a little bit more to it. And I think people are embracing the opportunities that are being given to them to change their lifestyle, to move out, to get more space. Broadband obviously is a huge factor. It's been rolled out right across the country and it's made places wide open for business that maybe it was impossible, you know, a short number of years ago. Also, employers have changed their attitude. They, you know, a lot of employers have, have come up to the mark and given their employees opportunities to work remotely or at least have a flexibility with regards going into the office. You know, Barry, I can't remember a time when there has been so much change, but there are so many reasons behind this change. You're, normally, we can attribute something. So, you know, during the crash, we knew what was happening. As recovery took hold, we knew what was happening. Now, the dynamics are, are really so much more complicated. Um, and you and I both entered this industry before there was even a property price register. You know, we didn't have accurate data. And so that's why I think uh, we're so appreciative and we welcome any sort of, of data. And actually, I wasn't aware that your stats were based on sale agreed. I actually presumed it was sold. So that actually gives a more timely um, and, and up-to-date feel. But, you know, one of the things that I'm really interested in that I think REA are uniquely positioned to capture is sentiment. So you understand your, okay, your agents are meeting people as they are relocating to these areas. I presume they're capturing some insights into why these people are returning and do they have a connection to the area? 
Yeah. So it, it, again, getting back to the way the survey and the simplicity of the survey, when we issue the, the, the survey, we issue an Excel report to all our agents. And quite simply, it's asking them about, yes, that value of the three bedroom semi-detached house. But there are obviously a few other questions, but there's not many. One is how long are they finding it's taking to sell a house? Uh, what le- what type of ratio they're seeing between buyers from cash to mortgage buyers, and also the really where the real interesting facts come and the real interesting nuggets is we just ask our agents to take a moment and write down a few comments on the market, and that's obviously where the meet the sentiment comes in. So it's all great having the data and the numbers, but to hit, read the sentiment, otherwise we're scratching our heads in some circumstances, wondering well why is this happening? And so in the latest report, I know our our, our our member in, in Roscommon, Seamus Carthy, he had indicated that he's finding approximately three quarters of his buyers are families returning from either Galway or Dublin back to the Roscommon area. Now, he always had buyers that were coming from those areas who always maybe planned to raise their kids where they grew up um, as, 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 as adults. But there, he's just finding that the quantum, that the percentage of buyers that are making that move is much, much higher. And he, like I actually spoke to him when the press release was coming out just to get further discussion with him. And he just he just was really surprised by the, the, the step up in quantum of that phenomenon. OK, and again, you know, to have that amount that actually have links to the area, I think that that's one interesting perspective and i wonder is that is that mirrored across the west coast because i think there are parts of the west coast that tend to attract people like for example uh west cork or Connemara. they have in the past tended to attract people who don't have connections to the area absolutely they see the beauty perhaps and the remoteness and the the wildness of the and wild atlantic Exactly. And it's great broadband there. Yeah, it's now quite possible that that a lot of them can do the majority of their work. And and even if you are, you know, out, we'll say, admittedly, not too far beyond the likes of Galway City, you're still not too far from Dublin that if you did need to do that one day in the office a week, it's 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 highly possible. Look at our our friends in America. You know, a two hour commute over there is 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 nothing to some people. It's it's kind of staggering to us because it wasn't something we have seen before. But if it's something you're doing once a week or once a fortnight or once a month, you know, for a lot of people, look, it's not for everybody, but for a lot of people to live in a place like that, to be able to buy property that's far more affordable, there it, it's a fantastic thing we're seeing, and it is bringing fresh life into some villages that maybe had really suffered from, you know, the youth growing up and leaving, going to the cities and going abroad. And now there's fresh life coming into these places with enthusiasm for the area and, you know, and a want to be there and, you know, and want to invest in the community. Bringing new businesses and business ideas. But actually you've touched on something important there, and that is a commute, because quite frankly, 40 minutes sitting in traffic is too much of a commute. Yet people are happy to do two hours up the motorway if they yeah. only have to do it twice, twice, yes. or six, you know, twice a week or thereabouts. It could that be one of the explanations for the almost disproportionate increase in Tipperary? Because t- Tipperary would be a fair hike if you were doing that to either Cork or Galway or Dublin, you know, not yeah. Limerick, but um, certainly any of the other cities if you were doing it every day. But if you were doing it once or twice a week, yeah. it's infinitely manageable. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, you know, as well, just on a slight change from that point, I know when we started seeing this first, so probably going back certainly about 12 months ago, I remember talking to our agent down in Carlo and he was finding, so it wasn't just people moving back to the area that may be grown up there. He was finding, and he gave me the example of a an Eastern European couple. Is, is this Harry Southern? Yes, exactly. You know, Harry. He took uh, courts, one of the best agents in Carlo. Absolutely. And, and funny, as I said, we ask all our agents to put in comments each three months in this survey. And there's always a good nugget from Harry, a good insight, I have to say, always. Well, there's very but, few people who know their local marketplace. Their market, exactly. Living in it and, and breathing it daily for so long. Exactly. But he highlighted this particular couple and they were going to have to commute up and down to Dublin every day. Now, Carlo to Dublin isn't so bad anyway. And Carlo where they the were, outskirts of Dublin. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. One of them was going, I think, to City West and the other was going somewhere also, you know, they they were they were just hitting the traffic and they were there, you know, so that made a big difference to them. But for them to give an example, it was just the affordability. They had been looking in the area of around kind of Walkinstown and Crumlin before that. And they just realized for that kind of money, what they could get in a place like Carlo. And it was a commute that they could live with, you know, and um, admittedly further, further afield. It is probably people who do not have to appear at their office on a day to day basis that are looking to buy. Um, well, let's take things a little closer to home, because as I mentioned at the start, you know, yes, you're the the spokesperson for REA on this particular report, but you're also um, working yourself there in Lucan. How are you finding the local marketplace there? Extremely busy with regards to demand, uh, extremely slim with regards to supply. I think it's the same thing can be echoed right around the country. We're probably fortunate in that it's not as extreme here because within a couple of miles in in almost every direction there is new home development going on to meet some of the demand and so it's probably not quite as as crazy as certain areas where we're not seeing any developments Dublin West has seen quite a decent amount in the surrounding area and but yeah it's 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 look it's competitive it's 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 busy it's uh it's all about getting the listings and then you know the sales are 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 following fairly rapidly thereafter we're finding the turnaround time is is quite low we had a meeting this morning here in our office to go through our properties and one of the properties is on the market about three weeks and we're nearly wondering why it hasn't sold yet you know there's there's active bidding on it but it's just things are just moving so so quickly it's it's staggering and then we had another one recently where you know the vendors wanted to put it up at a price that we thought was a little bit silly on the high side <laughs> one viewing later and it's sale agreed you know at the, the the price that we the professional the valuers thought was silly so it's it's very hard to to kind of second guess the market because we're constantly being surprised by offers and prices that are being achieved for stuff and you know it and 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 as well carol it's hard to know where this is going to end unless they really ramp up um, the new home development. I know last night I was watching the news and our Minister for Housing indicated that it's really going to ramp up next, next year. And I really hope he's right because last year and this year, obviously there's been huge challenges with COVID. And then I know from talking to a developer, he said like, if we'd known how good the market was going to be, we would have ploughed into things and when, when things reopened. But we just, there was such uncertainty. We put pause on certain developments that we planned. And so that's obviously really affected things. And I do think that will come on stream next year, but I don't think it will make a huge difference. I, I, I was mentioning also that the, the figures of, of approvals for the summer, t- summer months by the banks is just higher than possibly ever. Yeah. The numbers and, and, the, and the amounts being lent, and this is despite a rising market, which is only going to add to the whole thing, you know. You know, it, it, okay, there are so many different dynamics there that I want to ask you about. Um, you know, first of all, you mentioned low supply. You know, we've covered a lot on the show about new homes. Can you give me some insight into secondhand, um, the secondhand um, sellers? Are they nervous about letting people physically into their homes? Are they nervous about the marketplace? Yeah, that that was definitely, the, the nerves about access to their home was definitely a factor. I think it's less so at the moment, uh, but I'm sure there is a certain smaller percentage of, of people who feel very vulnerable, are very scared about the, the health risk and continue to avoid maybe making a move because of that. And that's quite understandable. But um, by and large, I think the majority of people are okay with it. They're aware that I suppose their property can be sold in a way that's quite safe from a health and safety point of view. Um, and, And I do think we're going to start to see more and more people coming to the market and maybe put put they were putting it off. I think the big thing that was putting people off was uncertainty. They were unsure of how well their own house would sell when COVID hit first because they you know, look, I sat in my office last April 12 months thinking the whole the bottom was going to fall out of everything again. <laughs> and thankfully that didn't prove to be the case. So I'm sure an awful lot of people who plan to up sticks and maybe trade up said, well, no, no, let's wait and see what 
what happens here. Now, obviously, we're all beginning to realize that the world is still turning, the market is still good, and people are realizing they can get very good prices for their house. But on the flip side, they just see a market that's manic, and they're probably saying, well, look, let's just stay out of this until things improve a little bit. What will drive it, though, a little bit is the cost of construction and the awareness of the cost of construction. I think that will put off people extending and they'll decide, right, we need more space. We're going to have to move. And that might help bring a little bit more of the, the smaller and mid-sized properties to the market for people trading up. But it's been a really funny time. And, and definitely a lot of people have resisted bringing their properties to the market because of uncertainty. But on the flip side, people we have sold for are the ones who used the opportunity of COVID to take stock and maybe, you know, move out to further afield because of lifestyle choices. And that's certainly brought a certain level to the market. But I, I do think as well, estate agents feel that the stock levels are really low purely because they're moving so quickly. But I think if any of us actually really look at our figures, we're probably selling the number of, a similar number of units to what we were doing pre-COVID. It, it, it's just at any one time less on your books because they're turning so quickly. That also sounds like maybe it's not requiring the same amount of hands-on work that might have gone into it previously. And I think every agent will know the feeling of being a busy fool. It happens in every industry, but unfortunately, estate agents really get the, the tough end of the stick there. And um, Barry, before we let you go, you know, you mentioned there um, and, and, you know, this is one of the great things about not just being on radio, because actually now we're doing a video. I can actually see it in your face as well. You know, you talk about how at the start of COVID, it felt like the bottom was falling out of the market again. And the way you say again means you remember the same way I remember. And so many estate agents remember that actually the crash was not so long ago. The recovery didn't come equally um, to all parts of the country. And in for many parts of the country, it certainly feels like um, estate agencies had only just got back into their rhythm when this, when this happened. And, you know, we often talk about this in terms of our construction industry and our property industry being so resilient, but you can only be so resilient for so long. You know, as an estate agency owner, you know, how are you managing to go from, you know, through the crash into recovery and then this explosion in West Dublin, you know, that was just so um, that, that probably made for a very busy time. And then we're into this uncertainty and now we're into a whole new, new kind of environment that really nobody knows what to expect. How do you manage that as a business owner? Yeah, look, it can be exhausting <laughs> to say the very least. Mentally, it can be exhausting. I always remember my poor father saying, you know, uh, sometimes you'd be far more tired of, after a day selling than you would be a day working in a field, uh, digging or uh, picking up stones. But um, no, it can be quite a tiring industry and you take the blows and the blows take their toll. There's no doubt about it. But from, from the point of view of running a business, I suppose, look, we operate a by personnel size, quite a, a small practice here in West Dublin. I've always resisted the urge to expand in any major way. And that has probably helped me. I do wonder how the, the guys who run offices who take on a number of staff when the market gets good, that must be a real challenge to try and second guess what's coming down the tracks. Like at the moment, you know, the market is good. We're busy. We could probably do it an extra couple of pairs of hands. There's probably business there for us if we had the capacity. But, you know, the fear is, well, what conversation will we be having this time next year? Will the market outlook be as good? Because it can change so quickly based on government policy banking policy or, or, or just the general, even worldwide economy and the effects it can have on, on the Irish property market. So there is definitely, you know, you kind of, I suppose you try and learn to grow at a, at a slow rate that you know you have, you know, the wherewithal to withstand shocks. Now, certainly I, I do think what happened around about 2008 to 2013, it must have driven so many people out of the industry, which is sad to see. It's changed the industry massively. I think anyone within 
nearly an hour of Dublin feels the effects where there's the big guys in Dublin doing the majority of certainly the commercial work and the new homework. Um, whereas, you know, if you went back 20 or 25 years, the smaller agency were getting some of the local meaty stuff. I know certainly we did, whereas nowadays our focus is almost entirely on the three bed semi business. And, and maybe happily so, I'm not sure, but you know, it's it, there's always these changes and you just have to adapt with them and, and, and go with it. But it can be it can be a little bit of a roller coaster at times. Yeah, no, I, I can only imagine. And uh, finally, Barry, just because the proposed regeneration of uh, West Dublin, um, mm. almost doubling the size, or, or sorry, more than doubling the size of Tala, um, is being proposed for a region that obviously is bordering on Lucan. You know, have you factored that into maybe some of the growth plans that, that uh, you have for the area or your, your expectations for the area? Yeah, look, we're, we're, we're constantly looking at what's coming down the tracks. And obviously, a number of years ago, we could see how Adamstown was going to come in. And, you know, as much as it was planned to be a standalone entity, to a large extent, Adamstown has been absorbed into Lucan. And, and nearly the address is now, you know, Adamstown Lucan, as opposed to the original plan was it was going to be Adamstown County Dublin. Um, and, 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 you know, that's been great for for us because there's no doubt we could look at our numbers from last year and we've sold a good few units up in Adamstown and it's all helping to our turn going towards our turnover and our bottom line and we'll see the same now with the likes of Clumburris and other areas and, and we feel very fortunate I suppose as the longest serving estate agents in the Lucan area that we're there well placed to hopefully uh, pick up a lot of the business in those areas but with regards growing with it yeah for sure there's no doubt that hopefully as I kind of touched on there at a prudent level we would have plans to hopefully increase the size of our business the size of our workforce and the size please God of our turnover ultimately but um, it's trying to I think it's not so much trying to assess the quantum of new homes coming it's trying to assess I suppose the timeline and like Adamstown was meant to have been rolled out over, I think a four year period, it's still going on 20 years later. And we know why, but I suppose you just don't want to jump the gun either. You want to be ready, but jump the gun. It's just trying to find that sweet spot. Yeah. Okay. And I suppose the final question I have for you there um, in terms of the wider REA network, uh, when you were were capturing insights from your members right across the country, did you capture maybe their expectations for their local markets over the next kind of six to twelve months? Yeah. So generally, I suppose, and again, this came up I, on a personal level. We were very lucky in West Dublin in that the market recovered from the really bad years a lot sooner than other more rural areas and as you say before COVID a lot of them were really only getting back to a functioning market in the last 12, 24 months before then so they've certainly seen a lot more downs than ups and uh, a lot of them would be looking to the future certainly with a large level of caution they do uh, embrace and appreciate this new phenomenon of the move to the countryside I know a lot of our agents as well around the country have benefited from being positioned in beautiful tourist type areas where they've captured a whole new level of audience of buyers coming in from abroad or all around the country. It's quite interesting. The whole staycation thing last year has really thrown open Ireland as a destination for people and people instead of jetting out to Portugal are now looking to invest in a small house down in Kilmore Quay or Dungarvan or West Cork or wherever takes their fancy. So all of that has helped and it's certainly we do look forward with confidence to the market. I do think another factor which gives us great confidence is the central bank lending rules and the effect that they've had that you know any homeowner should be a, a really strong buffer above negative equity that it's that shouldn't be an issue anytime soon for any of us thank god so i do think we we do generally look forward to quite a positive outlook on the way the market is certainly in the short to medium term yeah okay that that's all very positive to hear and as somebody who is constantly trying to turn the property conversation so that it isn't so Dublin centric, uh, despite the fact that we're talking now in Dublin South FM, you know, I think it's really important that we're seeing that knock on effect for the regions as well and the regeneration of the regions. You know, it, yes. it's really positive development, I think, for Ireland as a whole uh, from a societal point of view. So 
Thank you so much for joining us. That was Barry McDonald of REA McDonald in Lucan. We'll be back after a quick break. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM And welcome back to Property Matters in Dublin South FM with Carol Tala and myself Brian Fox you can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com So now we're joined by PJ Rudden from the Construction Sector Group with a focus on innovation and digital uh, adoption So before we first begin uh, PJ uh, we might just talk about this later uh, I see you've been uh, you're, you're now um um, chairman of the Innovation and Digital Adoption Construction uh, Construction Sector Group, which was uh, established under the leadership of the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform, which sounds very interesting. But before we discuss that, let's just talk about the construction innovation. How does the Irish How does the Irish industry compare to our near, international peers? Uh, poorly. Oh, and this is the reason why this group has been set up. Uh, we 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 are a small country with a very large fragmentation of the industry. About uh, something like ninety six percent of the entire industry are SMEs, and there are some fifteen large contractors. So it's quite a fragmented scene. And uh, you know the large contractors are you know into digital and so on, but the SMEs are not for various reasons. And that's that's the situation we're trying to address. Mm. And so, I mean. It's been there quite a while. Why do you think the uh, the small and medium enterprises and so forth are slow to adapt to uh, innovation at the moment in relation to um, digital and 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 uh, internet, etc.? Well, in fairness to them, um, a lot of them are specialist digital people, and mm. they contribute hugely in a subcontractor capacity to a lot of major projects. Right, uh, but you know, in terms of um, uh, the new digital technology, there's a, there's a significant cost factor. It's probably the biggest barrier. Um, there's also, um, you know, a, a lack of appreciation of the opportunities that digital can bring. And, you know, there are more opportunities than there are barriers. But, you know, you tend to think of the barriers until the opportunities are opened up to you. Uh, so, I mean... Um Investment, you know, in this sort of area, you're saying there that it can be expensive, but surely that can pay off in the long run. It can, but um, you need to have knowledge of what it can do for you yeah. to, to spend wisely. And um, you can start, um, you know, uh, with, the, with the simpler technology and then move forward. It can be a progressive um, entry into, into, into innovation. But, you know, we don't have a great deal of time left to start building smartly in this country. And we have a, a climate problem as well. And the two are interlinked, as you know. Yeah. Tell us, why did, do you think the Department of um, Public Expenditure Reform thought it necessary to uh, have project, you got project uh, Ireland 2040, isn't it, I think? Yes. Yeah. Well, Ireland 2040 is uh, a national ambition since 2018, in fact. Um, why did the Department of Public Expenditure Reform decide to invest in this? Quite simply because they recognize the market failure that there is, that without some state support, particularly with an industry that has such a predominance of SMEs, it's simply not going to happen. So they're giving, they're priming the pump, if you like, in a very innovative way, in fact. Uh, this has never been done before. And this is a chance in a generation that will and won't crop up for at least another generation. Um, there have been attempts to build uh, to build large scale in this country, and as you know, uh, there was a there was an economic recession which took away a lot of the resources to help do that. And um, uh, just as the, as the recession was ending, as you know, uh, we had COVID, so we have an opportunity now in recovery, not just to get building again, but to build smarter to build greener and to build um, more productively. And what's the reaction like from the, sorry, just, just from the construction industry to, to this new, um, to this new uh, project that you're leading, uh, innovation and digital ad adoption? It's very, it's very positive and very constructive. And indeed they're helping us with us, with us. We wouldn't be doing it without the construction industry. It is the construction industry who are doing this project. In fact, I'm just the chairman. Yeah, uh, PJ, that, that's an important point, actually, and it's one that probably doesn't get said too often. But um, 
I, I'm just trying to recall the last time we spoke, you had actually been quite recently appointed as chairman of this group. So actually, I might just take you a step back and you might just explain for people who aren't familiar, um, what exactly is the construction sector group and what is your remit? OK, uh, this, the construction sector group was set up in 2018, around the time of the first national development plan. And I think uh, the government recognised that uh, we had a resource issue in the industry. Um, so they commissioned a report on productivity by KPMG. And that report uh, gave us the, the, the facts and figures that I was speaking to Brian about there a moment ago and compared our productivity against the UK and various European countries and as far away as Australia and New Zealand. And uh, we don't score very highly. Um, in that. And, you know, that proves the value of getting that report. And there were seven priority actions uh, taken from that report. And they're the seven priority actions that I am leading the delivery of. And as you say, Carol, it started about a year ago. It's in fact, this month is our first anniversary. And a lot has happened. And I can go through the, the progress of those actions with you. Yeah, please do. Because when we spoke, uh, COVID-19 was well and truly, you're well and truly in the throes of it. Um, but we didn't know how long it was going to last. And I don't think um, uh, for our conversation around this time last year, I don't think we expected that the construction industry in Ireland would be closed for uh, the first quarter of the year. You know, so how has that? So actually, you might just remind us of what the seven priority actions are. And then maybe you could give us a little update on them. OK, um, action one is to uh, explore uh, as much research as possible into modern methods of construction, but also to, re to research the R&D element of construction has not been huge to date. So that needs to be rectified. Action two is to find uh, funding sources within Ireland and the EU um, to help to uh, run pilot projects into innovative ways of doing things that will act as, a, as an accelerator to the industry. Action three is to build a, a unit that will actually be called modern methods of construction. Some people call it off-site construction, but it's more than just off-site, it's modern materials. And in the current uh, climate situation, it's also low carbon materials. Action four is to build a new construction technology center by Enterprise Ireland, none such centre exists for construction. We have it for food and manufacturing and other areas that are doing very well. And uh, it's no surprise that we don't have one for the construction industry because nobody has ever actually done this before. Action five is to build a skill net, a digital skill net for construction. I mean, we're, we have a huge resource issue, not just as you know, engineers and architect level, but even more so in terms of the trades and the apprenticeships. And really, it's the apprenticeship area and the trades area that we need to focus on most strongly and also bring in a much stronger gender balance, which, as you know, does not exist in the industry. Um, action six is probably the, going to be the most popular innovation of all because it will affect everybody in that um, it will digitize the planning permission system so there will be no more six hard copies of applications to be made to 31 local authorities. Uh, we've been working on that quite quite hard this year, and I'm happy to tell you that next year we'll be rolling it out on a county-by-county county basis to each local authority, and the days of paper planning applications are gone. This will accelerate the planning process, of course, which is one of the complaints made. Action 7 is about to be kicked off. It's the Build Digital project involving a consortium of third-level colleges who will research and, and activate, not just research, but actually uh, determine and develop building information modeling, not just as it currently is to ensure accurate buildings, but to uh, control program costs, carbon embedment, and energy costs, the whole cycle costs and asset management costs, which are about 80% of the cost of the entire project. They're the seven actions. And okay. we have tremendous progress on each of them. In fact, on, on, on most of them, um, they're, they're well on the way to being delivered. And the safety, uh, apart from the Action 7, they'll be fully delivered uh, in terms of starting the processes and starting the, 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 new, um, the new methods in operation next year. 
And before we get into individual progress, and you know, a figure you mentioned earlier has really struck me because I wasn't aware that it was so stark. 96% of the sector is made up of SMEs. Yes, and a great, great bulk of those have less than 10 employees. So how do you reach out to people um, in that position? Because, you know, an awful lot of the work we see being done is, is through, you know, strong lobby bodies like the Construction Industry Federation or the Home Builders Association um, of Ireland, which obviously both organisations are doing great out in the industry. But um, if you're talking about people who have fewer than 10 employees, that's a very disparate group. How do you bring them together? Have they ever been brought together? I'm not so sure. I certainly not in the construction in, industry because uh, we we don't actually know who they currently are, uh, as as I think you know yourself. Um, the you know we're not we're, we're challenged by this, but we're not at all. Um, our ambition is not at all dimmed by this at all because uh, we intend that we're going to leave nobody behind on this. You know, and, and that's a really important point, PJ. But you mentioned there, you know we have somewhere in the region of 15 very large contractors. And this might be an unfair question to ask, but in terms of supporting the supply chain, do the larger contractors have a role to play in helping their supply chain overcome some of the barriers? Because I think you articulated very well that the opportunities far outweigh the barriers once people are aware of them. Um, do, Do the larger contractors have a role to play maybe in in providing training, uh, perhaps resourcing in terms of new technologies, the supply chain, is that one route to, to get kind of deep into the into the subcontractors? It's one of many, but bear in mind, most of these uh, SMEs work as subcontractors for the larger contractors. So, you know, um, it's not that anybody in this country with construction experience is idle. We could probably do it another 150,000 people in construction at the moment. We're about to publish a new national development plan, um, which two or three years ago when it was published and it didn't get fully off the ground due to COVID and various other things, uh, it was it, it it had a value, a capital value of 116 billion euros. It now has a capital value when it's fully announced, um, although the price tag is out there, of 165 billion. That's an increase of 30, 40%. Uh, we simply don't have the people to build it currently. But just, we have to get them. Why, 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 why is that labour shortage there, um, PJ? I mean, has it gone, gone, gone because of COVID, gone back to... No, no. In fact, COVID is uh, partly responsible, but um, uh, we lost a lot of our major construction uh, resource during the recession period. Uh, we had 250,000 people in construction in 2009. That dropped to 100,000 uh, 10 years later. And, yeah. and we're just building it up. We're up at about 150,000 again. But, you know, it's not just the numbers. And the numbers are important. But the yeah. skill sets are even more yes, important. Sure. Now we have to retrofit houses, mm-hmm. not shallow retrofit as we were doing we have to do deep retrofit yeah and and you need there's a skill and a training as you say to all of that we also have to uh, build accommodation for another one million people on this island by 2040 and you might say that's a long way away it's around the corner in terms of the 10 years that it takes these projects to get to get to get designed planned designed through the planning process and the objections and all that, and get built. Mm. Uh, just sorry, before you come in, sorry, I'm just curious. Uh, how, how do we how do we compete, uh, compensation wise? Um, you know, uh, pounds and pence, if you like, our euros and and, and so in terms of, of getting um, labour in from wherever it's supposed to come from. Do we do we compete on that basis? Frankly, I don't personally know, mm. uh, but you know, I mean. Uh, there is a labour market there. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of competition which has driven prices down, but there's a lot of competition for good staff that's actually moving wages up. And, um, I mean, you know, anecdotally, it's impossible to get somebody to a small job now in terms of uh, extensions and all of that. Even to get a tree cut down, you have to wait weeks and weeks, as I discovered myself. Um, so there's, there's huge ambition and there's a latent 
uh, opportunity here to employ a lot of a lot more people in construction, to upskill them and give them meaningful careers, and to increase the gender balance, which will take some time to achieve. Uh, why is that not being achieved at the moment? Why aren't Why aren't there more people coming into the construction industry at an apprentice level, uh, both by, from both sexes? Well, there are two issues at play there, in my view. One is that up to now, it has been perceived as a cyclical industry that ha- that has peaks and troughs, and that has been the case. But with the current expenditure that's about to be applied to construction, there will be no trough for 10 or 20 years in this country if even we achieve our current ambition of this plan uh, to spend $165 billion. I mean, there is nothing but attractive, uh, very rewarding, good, well-paid construction jobs here in the offering. Uh, we need. Why do we have not enough apprentices? Because there is a focus on going to college. Oh, yeah. and, and, you know, going to college is fine, mm-hmm. but I think we have plenty of people going to college. We so don't have there. to get into apprentices. Yeah, uh, apprenticeships. And to be fair to the new government department of Fordham Higher Education, uh, they are uh, recognizing this and incentivizing apprenticeships and employers to engage in apprenticeship schemes. Uh, and there's a relatively new, um, you know, project initiative by the minister there, which is starting to take hold. Uh, and, and all the organs of government recognize these issues, and they're all working together to solve it. And the National Development Plan is a whole-of-government approach, as is the new Climate Action Plan, a whole-of-government approach to build uh, productively, to build digitally, and to build sustainably. PJ, is it fair to say that the construction industry has not been a good advocate for itself when it comes to attracting talent? Because over the past year and a half, we've seen two distinct gaps. Um, One of those uh, is at the senior level, People don't see the construction as being a sector that you can cross into. Everything from all the disciplines across the C-suite, whether it's finance, marketing, um, or or the more technical C-suite positions, people don't believe that it's uh, a transition they can make. And maybe with the rise of more modern methods of construction, that will be seen as an easier flow into more manufacturing. But the second thing is that apprenticeship and trade level. I heard a 27-year-old say they'd missed the boat and if they felt they were too late to go back and do an apprenticeship at 27. So are we well, doing something to attract the right people? I, I don't agree with that, Carol. I mean, uh, the training required to get into construction is relatively modest in comparison to other professions, in fact. And that might come as a pleasant surprise to some people. It's uh, in terms of uh, the, you know, the skills... Uh, they are important and unique skills, but they can be built upon, uh, you know, and can be built upon on an apprenticeship level out of leave insert. Uh, they can be built upon in third level education. And, and we have the other major initiative in the past year or two uh, of the setting up of the technological universities, which, you know, are less academic and more practical in terms of the likes of construction. And therefore, it's no surprise that it it is the new technological universities in Dublin, Cork, Galway, Limerick, Athlone, uh, Little Kenny, Carlow, Waterford, and so on, that um, have won the project for Build Digital, and which they will be uh, rolling out on a a regional basis, which will make a a, a lot of difference particularly to people who currently maybe are in rural areas working from home um, and they don't have to travel to Dublin for all of this anymore. Uh, So I think there's a bright future. The the whole situation is pivoting in a positive direction towards construction, towards uh, attracting people into those careers. Um, And, you know, it's, 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 it's a career that has given me a great 30, 40 years and I wouldn't, I have no regrets. Uh, Okay, I went in through the third level colleges and became an engineer. But I mean, you know, it takes more than, you know, we need engineers, architects, we need surveyors, we need, um, you know, and the the wet trades are are hugely underemployed at the moment. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I had a meeting recently with the Congress of Trade Unions and they were telling me about the challenges in getting people into wet trades. And that's coming from the union point of view, who are also been very constructive and who are on the CSG, in fact, they're on the construction sector group. And can you give us maybe some insight into what those challenges are? I mean, is there a bit of an outdated, uh, is there a bit of an outdated perception of what a career in construction is? Uh, perhaps, but we're seeking to change that. The CIF have had a, a very good careers programme running for a year or more. Um, in fact, the KPMG report addressed that issue um, of, of, you know, uh, training and careers in construction and the, and the gender balance issue. And they're working on it very strongly. Um, and uh, as the new National Development Plan gets rolled out, you're going to hear more and more about this because we are going to uh, invest uh, in that activity five skill net, and we're going to invest in consultation with SONUS and and the you know the education boards, and the Department of Higher and Further Education, and uh, you know it's going to be a very comprehensive approach uh, to upskill the industry and upskill the numbers in the industry as well. Okay, well, look very briefly. I'm conscious of your time, PJ. Um, so, but I, I would love to be able to share with the industry just some of the uh, highlights um, in terms of the progress. So, you mentioned there um, digitizing the planning process. I think that will come as a great relief to so many people because everything that's done throughout the construction industry depends on on planning. So, it's a bit of a you know, it's an important cog there in, in the wheel. So can you maybe give us uh, some of the highlights in terms of progress and, and maybe what your focus is going to be for the next 12 to 18 months? The focus over the next 12 to 18 months is to get the, the construction technology centre, the new centre that doesn't exist, get it up and running. It will be partly physical, partly virtual. It will contain the, um, the training required from other methods of construction. It will also probably, um, uh, you know, the build digital project and the modern method of construction will probably end up being hosted there too. So it will be one integrated center, which doesn't exist with regard to any other industry, but a particular effort has been made uh, to, to, to set this up in a very innovative way. Uh, I mean, for instance, one of the, the challenges up to now um, is that, you know, um, Construction isn't recognized as a proper industry, uh, like, like manufacturing is, and like the industries that have a technology center. As a result of that, the Enterprise Ireland grants up to now have not extended to the industry in the same way as, they've, as they extend to other industries. But uh, I'm glad to say to you, and thanks to government on this, um, Housing for All has changed all that. House, their Housing for All ambition recently published has in fact uh, requested Enterprise Ireland to turn towards domestic construction for the first time. So there will be a new package of supports there that never existed before. And that's only news in recent weeks. Yeah, that, that's a really positive one. But again, we're almost circling back to the challenge of uh, how do you reach those, the 96%? Um, so will Enterprise Ireland be in, in a position to reach them through perhaps their network of local enterprise offices? There will, there will be structures. There are structures for each of those micro businesses, starting with the Leos locally and 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 escalating. But there, there'll be a set there'll be a set of supports to go with those structures for the very first time. I think the only the only thing you could get up to now is a an, what they call an innovation voucher for five k. Uh, that's that system is going to be replaced with a much more robust system, and Enterprise Ireland would be much more involved in the construction industry going forward and, and bring in their innovative skills. Uh, and we're also completing a major report uh, which has been done by Ernst and Young on the detailed description of needs of that construction technology centre. Again, they're employed by Enterprise Ireland, but they're looking at what will it contain and it will, it will be a bespoke facility which will contain what the industry are now saying to uh, Enterprise Ireland, it should contain. It will solve the problems that people are now aware of, and it will build, um, you know, a, a centre on which we can um, escalate the industry to high levels of productivity, high levels of sustainability, high levels of digitization, and them all interconnected 
in one new intelligent unit uh, that will drive uh, development. I mean, a huge development to provide the housing, the hospitals, the schools, uh, the training centres for an extra one million people and the jobs for an extra one million people spread more evenly around the country uh, under a new planning, uh, a new national planning framework, uh, which uh, wants to increase the size of Cork, Limerick, Galway and Waterford, the three main cities outside Dublin, to give it those cities scale, which they currently may or may not have. And, and, and if you like, reduce the congestion in Dublin. I think COVID has greatly assisted in, in reducing that somewhat. But, you know, everybody will tell you the, the you know, the motorways are full again. Uh, but I think people are pivoting to a new way of working. Yeah. Uh, we, there was a lot of sadness with COVID. But in fact, we learned a lot of lessons. We had less pollution. We had less congestion. Uh, people were able to stay much, spend much time with their families and do their job. And people were supported adequately by the government during that period. So I, I think, you know, you know, we had a period of living with COVID. We now have a period of the new living. And I'm not going to use the bandit phrases about it. But, you know, there is, uh, you know, great excitement in rural areas, which oh, is, definitely is. Yeah. where I, co- I come from a rural area myself. I know all about it. And, um, and we, uh, we, we, I think we'll see uh, a very, very balanced approach towards future development uh, because, you know, this is the first time a national development plan has been um, repurposed side by side with a national planning structure. There was a national planning structure before, but there was no money mm-hmm. to do what was required. Yeah. Uh, and there was decentralization. But again, that didn't work. This is now working in tandem for the first time ever. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, there's a lot and they're in sync. There's a lot to be optimistic about there, PJ. And um, finally, before we let you go, just one final thing. The only thing we didn't touch on is culture. And, you know, you mentioned there you've had, uh, what, three, four good decades in this industry. Um, what's the key measure that's going to impact when it comes to culture change here because we know so much of innovation and digital adoption comes down to that yes well innovation is the driver uh, really and it's a everybody wants a better standard uh, standard of living and and you know there there will be a better standard of living in the construction industry there's no question about that um you know we we're, we're uh, we want to be the leaders in Europe, not the laggards yeah. in this respect. And we have the means now uniquely on our island to do that, I think. Yeah, look, I, I think you articulated well and it's worth repeating when it comes to innovation and digitizing the construction industry, there are more opportunities opportunities than barriers. And I think that's ideal. Uh, that was PJ Robin. Thank you, PJ, uh, from the Construction Sector Group with a focus on innovation and digital adoption. That's it from us this week. Uh, thank you for listening to Property Matters on Dublin South FM. You can get in touch with the show by emailing hello at iProperty Radio or on social media at iProperty Radio. Uh, thank you to Peter Rice on Sound. And we're back at the same time next week from Brian Fox and myself, Carol Talon. Stay safe.